carrying the burden. Right? But I want to get up under that burden with him because we are fellow laborers with him. The Bible says we are laborers together with God. Right? So if you're a laborer and you're sitting around and you're not laboring, if you're on a real job in the world, what are they going to do? They're going to, sit, they're going to show you where the door's at and they're going to tell you not to come back. Amen? And so I just, I don't know, I don't know why I'm saying this. I just, I just, you know, we drive up and down and maybe the Lord's telling me to say it, but we drive up and down, we go to work, we go about our day and, and there's a lost world walking right, driving right by us and we don't even think about it. We don't even care. Oh, brother Demuth, that's not true. Maybe it is. That's up to you. If you cared enough, and you can finish that statement. If I cared enough, what would I do? If I really cared enough and stopped caring about all the stuff that I don't have any control over because he's in charge of everything, right? He knows what we need have need of. He, You can't even change the color of your hair or the stature, how tall or short you are. You can hang from a pole out in the yard all day long. You're not going to get any taller, right? So, I know that really some of y'all just thinking, wow, I've been doing that for 40 years and no wonder it's not working. But, but we can change something, the world around us, one soul at a time. Amen. But we're here to talk about true religion. Practical religion. And so our key verse, once again, as we continue this lesson, is found in James 1, 26 and 27. says, if any man among you seem to be religious, a lot of seem to be today, a lot of people calling themselves a Christian, but I'm sorry if, you were, if you're a fruit inspector, they don't, they're not bearing the fruit. They're just wearing the name. And some of them aren't doing that very well. And bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. There's a lot of people out there running their mouth about how Christian they are, but their actions are not in conjunction with what their words are saying. And if that applies to you, I'm sorry. That's just what it says. But James is trying to tell the church. Your religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. There it is right here. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. doesn't say for certain people to visit the fatherless and the widows. If that's your ministry. doesn't Does it say that there? Only if that's your ministry do you have to do that. That's not my ministry, Pastor. I don't, I don't do that. I'm, I don't do this or that or the other very well. Uh, <laughs> it says, all power is given unto him in heaven and earth, and he lives in us. Hello? <laughs> you got the power and the authority to do anything. If you just, if you just step out there, he'll give you the strength. He'll, you don't need to even worry about having the strength to do it. He'll give it to you. He'll go with you. Sometimes he'll even tell you to go there and you'll say, 
I don't know if I should be doing this or going there or saying that, and he's prompting you to say it, do it, or whatever anyway. If you'll just do it, say it, whatever it is he's telling you to do, you'll be amazed at how it'll work because it's him directing it, right? And it says there to keep himself unspotted from the world. That does not say to keep yourself separated from the world, like the world out there in, the, out in those houses that are all around us. What that's talking about is unspotted from the world system, right? The world's way of thinking doesn't mean that we that doesn't give us license to keep ourselves separated to the point we're not even talking to people. Okay, I know y'all probably knew that. But I'm just saying. Because the Bible says they went from house to house. And it doesn't say that they went to certain houses. They didn't just hang out with themselves. They didn't all just keep going back and meeting in the building. In one place in the Bible, after Jesus had died and was buried and had rose again, where did he find the 12, 12 disciples? 11. Where did he find them? In a room, hiding. How do we know that? Because it said he upbraided them with their unbelief. What were they unbelieving about? They, I think they didn't believe he was really going to rise again until he showed up and walked through the wall. Right? And he was a, they were scared of the Jews. Because they just killed their leader. And so he's like, why are, you, why are you hiding up in this room all fearful and stuff? Get out there. You know, he, he had sent the 70 out and they came back when he was alive and they testified of all the great things that happened because of the name of Jesus, right? That was before they had the Holy Ghost. Now they got the Holy Ghost and they're hiding in a room. Jesus says, get out of here, go. Go from house to house. So that's what he's telling us to do. We got to, don't let this world system get in your in your craw, don't let it. Don't let yourself start thinking like the world again. You've been delivered from that. But you got to get out there among them, and trust that what God has given you, it's He's going to keep you. Because we didn't save ourselves, did we? I can't save myself, and I surely can't save somebody else. Yeah, I know that Scripture says. But the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. In one place it says such as were being saved. Well, how were they being saved? How do you, how are you, by your actions, saving somebody? Because you're taking one little chink at a time. You might be taking a half a brick at a time, but you're, as you meet with that person, as you spend time with that person, as you let them feel the power and the love of Jesus coming from you, you're, systematically tearing down a wall in their life. And they're, they're beginning to, to give up some ground, and you're starting to win that person. But Jesus is the one that saves them, right? Is this okay this morning? I know, it probably doesn't have anything to do with the lesson. So anyway, we left off there with, um, under number Roman number 2, the mark of false profession under chapter 1, we talked about, Careless and forgetful hearing, and the semblance of religion, I think. And we went on down and going to kind of re, uh, re-attack this, this chapter 2 right here. I, 
I'm just trying to do what God told me to do, and so here we go. So the whole book of James we talked about was what? It was because James was in prison, I think, if I'm not mistaken, and he was about to be killed for the sake of the gospel. And so he was writing this letter to the Jews that had been scattered, and he was encouraging them. It's like, I'm not going to be there, guys, but you're going to have to carry on. We're going to have to carry on. If something happened and Brother Parker got hit by a bus, what would we do? Right? We would carry on. What do we do in life when we lose a family member or somebody? We, we grieve for a little while, but what do we do in life? We carry on. We get up and we, we get up every day and we, we go about our day every day and we live our life. We don't just stop living because something terrible happens. And they could have, he was trying to tell them, don't grieve about me. This is about the kingdom. It's not about me, James. This is about the kingdom, guys. This is what you got to do because sooner or later you're going to have to be replacing yourselves. I'm reading into what James was saying throughout this whole book. And so he's encouraging them. What? Don't don't forget these things. Don't forget to keep yourself unspotted from Don't forget the widows and the orphans. Don't forget all these things. Don't forget that there's a, a spirit out there, a, a religious spirit that that the same religious spirit that drove the Jews to kill Jesus, that same religious spirit is going to creep back in the church if you're not careful. Why did he say that? Well, he was the half-brother of Jesus, and he saw that firsthand. So he knew what he was talking about. He talked about in James 1, 2, uh, James 2, 1 through 16, about having respect of persons. Right? And we're, that, that, that idea of having respect of persons is what? It's prejudging another person without knowing anything about them. And we, we can be guilty of that. And that's what the Jews were guilty of. They had no idea who it was that they were trying to destroy. Had they known who he really was, they'd have been bowing before him. But as it was, they were out to get him because he was disrupting their religious system. He was disrupting, he was messing with their program. Right? Don't. And they were saying, because he would just get right up in their face about it, wouldn't he? He just come right out and call them hypocrites. He would come right out and call them whited sepulchers, but he loved them while he was doing that. He was trying to wake them up and say, guys, you, Isaiah 9 and 6, he was trying to tell them, this, I'm, I'm just, the vessel, but it's me. I'm that. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And they were so blinded by their Judaism and their religious tradition that they killed the very one that they were waiting for. And that's what he was, James was warning the church. Be careful that you don't let that spirit slip back, that attitude, that mindset slip back into the body of Christ. And they, he had to make sure that they knew that because he knew that they were winning people. They were still going from house to house. They weren't meeting in a building necessarily, not like this. They were going, still going from house to house. It was still 
fairly relatively small because the world at that time wasn't big like the world we have today. It was mostly over in that part of the world, in Syria and, and all those areas in Asia. But to them, it was the world. And so he was reminding them. And those, those, those Pharisees and those religious people were guilty of something we call snobbery. We've got to be careful of that. that. We don't let that spirit, because it's a spirit, right? You know, we are dealing with spiritual things, right? Because the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not a flesh and blood thing. But we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. Right? There's a spirit, I believe, that causes an individual to want to smoke. Spirit of tobacco. Right? And you, you have to be, we are delivered from those spirits. When God, when we stand at an altar and repent, you know we we let we tell those things let go, you're you're done, right? And so James is telling the church not to. He's he's telling them not to commingle with the world in the sense of don't go and do what they do, don't go and participate in what they participate in, but go out among them. Right? What did Jesus do? The, the half-brother James, what did he do? He went out among the people. He rubbed shoulders with everybody. He rubbed shoulders with the blind, the halt, the lame. He rubbed shoulders with the, the publicans and sinners that the religious people called them, the tax collectors and all those evil, wicked people out there. Right, and if we're not careful, we we'll, we can let that same attitude. There's an attitude in this world today. There's a spirit. Let me call it what it is. There's a spirit. You can call it an attitude if you want. In our world today, that's a dividing spirit: black against white, Republican against Democrat, left against right. Am I right? It don't you don't have to be very smart. But if you listen to the news or watch it or, or read about it, it, it's just permeating everything that we do. <clears throat> the rich and the poor. And all this, this whole mindset. And the spirit is so prevalent. And we've got to be careful. We don't let that affect our ministry. Because every one of us has a ministry. And he expects us to be like my wife was writing a paper for her PI class. And what's that paper on? On integrity and moral purity. And, and she, she takes and she writes her paper based on a billboard sign coming down I-90 that says, it just has some numbers and some slashes, 24 slash 7 slash 365. Anybody seen it? Right? It's the billboard company advertising. This thing is here 24-7, 365. Everybody that drives down this highway sees this 24-7, 365. And so the whole point of that is you better live this 24-7, 365. Right? 
Be like Jesus. Have the same love and compassion that he had for you. Don't forget where you came from. Right? Don't forget from from the, the pit that he dug you out of. What James is telling them, don't forget. Don't let that religious, Judaistic spirit get on you because that was something that was happening. It was really happening. The Jews were trying to reinsert all their own Judaistic, old Mosaic law stuff back into the New Testament church. And Paul and all these guys were trying to say, no, no, no. You don't have to do all that stuff anymore. We don't go to the temple. We don't do all that stuff anymore. We don't sacrifice animals. We don't, we don't, we don't do all those things and celebrate the Sabbath and all that. We, we, I did what Jesus did away with that. So he was telling them, be careful. And he's telling us by extension, be careful. There's a lost world out there that needs to know who Jesus is. And a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times it's not in what you say. It's in the silent witness of your life. You are that billboard, that 24-7, 365. Are you, are you professing Jesus through your life and your words to some extent, how you conduct yourself, how you carry yourself? Are you professing him 365, 24-7? Right? You have to ask yourself that. Or am I somebody different when I go to work? Do I modify my 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 habits and the things that I say and do and how I respond and react when I get in front of my coworkers and when I'm sitting here in front of everybody in church? Because I don't want them to get the wrong impression that I'm not something that I'm not. Right? Yeah. Fool some of the people, <laughs> but you can't fool all the people all the time. Somebody famous said that. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But you surely can't fool Jesus. Because <laughs> guess what? He knew. In the, if you read the New Testament enough, if you read through it enough, you'll find places in there. And I'm not going. I don't even know where it's all at. But he said it says that he knew their thoughts. And he and then when he would say it out loud, they're like. How did he know what we were thinking? So he knows our thoughts. Right? I like that prayer. That scripture, I call it a prayer. And I pray it a lot. Almost every day. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O God, my Savior and my Redeemer. Because he's going to judge us on that. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, in the Amplified, says, And such were, or such, and such some of you were once. What the Amplified said. We were once like that. We were once, what? Sinners. We were once somebody who wasn't quite making the mark. We were once alcoholics or whatever. You just fill in the blank right there. But you were washed clean, purified by a complete atonement for sin and made free from the guilt of sin. And you were consecrated, set apart, hallowed. And you were justified, pronounced righteous. Who pronounced you righteous? 
Not you. Not the preacher. Not the priest. If we're righteous, it's because of one thing, right? Because we wear His robe of righteousness. It's not by our righteousness. Because Jesus told the disciples, He said, if your righteousness is even exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, it's not going to be good enough. Because it's not about us. By trusting in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit of God. And isn't his salvation, isn't this to whomsoever will? It says, to whomsoever will, let him come freely to the wells of salvation. Doesn't it say something like that? It's, it's to whomsoever will. Well, who does that mean? Do I have to explain it? It's to whomsoever will. Who is that? Just think of think of the most the most rough looking biker that you can think of, or the most disheveled, smelly, stinky, homeless person you can think of. All the way from that, living in the gutter, all the way up to the most wealthy person in lacrosse. <clears throat> Whoever that is, I don't know who it is, doesn't matter. To the homosexual. To the guy or the girl that's covered with tattoos and Piercings everywhere. That is to whomsoever will. Can you handle that? Can you? <laughs> I, think, I think it was Brother Hoffman that said it at camp or something about, could you handle the guy that's tatted from, from here down being your song leader in your church? <laughs> when he said that, I went, whoa, it got really quiet in that building. <laughs> Because some people were thinking, I don't know, if I could just, you know, it's hard to look at that, isn't it? It just boggles my mind when I see that. I just like, how in the world are they doing that? And then to know, have to know that that person's filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, and God's using them? You mean God could use them? <laughs> Not only could he, he will. He absolutely will. Right? So don't be surprised if God doesn't put somebody like that in your path. And don't shun them and don't, don't get all snobbery and don't get all judgmental and don't, don't be a respecter of persons and say, well, maybe I'll wait for the next one to come along. Maybe they'll look a little better. Fit my, my, my picture in my mind of what a good apostolic should look like. Right? Then it's not about him, is it? Then it's all about us. Woo! Hmm. Who are we to show any kind of a spirit of contempt or dishonor toward anybody that was created in God's image? In his, in his image created he man. Male and female created he them. So they're in God's image. And it grieves him. You can believe what you want, but I, it grieves him. It bothers him that they're still lost and we're still sitting here. It does. It, do, do you think it bothers him? If you were Jesus, would it bother you? It bothered me a lot. 
I mean, he stood over Israel and prayed and wept over Israel and said, or Jerusalem, and, and we should be doing the same thing. It should really bother us. That's just us here. It really should. And the Bible says, and we went over this last week, if we offend in one point, we're guilty of the whole thing. Right? If we don't love our neighbors ourselves, isn't that one of the commandments? So if you offend in one, just because you didn't kill or murder or steal or commit fornication or adultery, doesn't matter. You're, you might as well have done all those things if you've just not loved your neighbor as yourself. That's what James was telling them. Don't, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget the rock you were hewed out of. Don't forget the important things. Don't let yourself just drift off and, and see they were just as, just as capable of the religious mindset getting back into the church then as it is now. Right? And the people out there that really are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, they're sick and tired of looking, of find, they're just walking in and out of religious experiences. They want something that's real that's not just going to fall through their fingers like sand. We got to show them that that's what we have, that this is real, that God really did deliver me from alcohol. He really did deliver me from this or that or whatever. That this is real and, and there's, this is not going to go away. There's going to be a change in your life that's never going to, you're never going to be the same. James 2 and 13 says, For he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. That same verse in the Amplified Bible says, For to him who has shown no mercy, the judgment will be merciless. But mercy, full of glad confidence, exalts victoriously over judgment. Wow. In the... I like using this in my uh on my iPad back there. I have this version of the Bible called the Complete Word Study Bible and I like it because you can tap on the words in there and it it brings up like a concordance and it'll explain some things to you about what that word was in the Greek and or what the thought pat process and and the kind of the the mindset of the person writing it at the time. And so in that Complete Word Study Bible when I tapped on this verse it's it says this the I'm sorry. Oh. The judges, Jesus Christ being the judge, the judge's generosity or his mercy toward the believer will be in proportion to the amount of mercy that the believer showed while on earth. Are you showing mercy? Are you showing compassion? If he showed no mercy, he will receive no mercy. The entrance into heaven is the result of the work which Christ did alone. Yet one's enjoyment of heaven and its rewards will be reflected in what the believer did for Christ in his life of faith on earth. Then follows the last part of James 2 and 13, which literally translated says, Mercy or mercifulness boasts against judgment. This means that the believer who has whose life has been full of mercifulness will face the judge unafraid because the judge is the judge in his liberality will take into account the mercy that the believer demonstrated while on earth. 
And then I typed this word in all caps. Wow. <laughs> that is profound right there. That's what that scripture means. For he shall have judgment without mercy that has shown no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. So if you don't want to have mercy, if you want if you want to be judgmental toward people, if you want to be like that and have that spirit and that attitude, I mean, right? You reap what you sow, right? You might not reap it now, but you better be careful. I better be careful. I got to be careful. We got to be careful how we look at people and how we judge in our minds, how we prejudge. Because we do it without even thinking about it. I was reading this book about spiritual leadership, and this guy that's writing the book, his wife's a psychologist, and she said that we make on average about 35,000 decisions a day. You're thinking, no way. Yeah, way. Think about it. How many decisions, if you had to sit down and write it down, how many decisions did you make from the moment you got out of bed that you got here? It's probably in the hundreds. Little decisions, what to wear, what to eat, whether to put my blinker on or not. We make decisions all day long, right? And so some stuff is so automatic to us sometimes, we don't even stop and say, wait a minute, what am I thinking? Right? That's a soul. Like my, my buddy Bill Burdick said in Okinawa when my Navy buddy that was there, he would see people acting a fool and he would just say this. It's not their fault. If they had the Holy Ghost, they wouldn't act like that. And it was like when he first said that, I went, wow, what a way to look at that. If that person, if, if that person had the Holy Ghost, they wouldn't act like that. And so then I, when I think that, then I try to picture them with the Holy Ghost. Right? Get a vision of that person having the Holy Ghost. If that won't draw you to, to, to reach out to them and to love them, maybe they're just waiting for somebody to love them. Maybe there's everybody that comes across them treats them like dirt. And you're going to be the one that's different. You're going to treat them with love and compassion in the same way that Jesus would have treated them if he was walking on this earth. Right? He... He just confounded his disciples when he did that, right? When he went to blind Bartimaeus, they're like, don't talk to him. Or they went over to him and said, shut up. Quit bothering Jesus. He, don't you see he's busy? And what did Jesus say? He stopped and said, bring him over here to me. Or when he stopped at the well and sent them off to buy meat so that he wouldn't be bothered by their attitude. So he could minister to that woman that was coming to the well. He already knew she was coming. I want to be, I want to be that Jesus right there. When, and when they come back, they were scratching their heads like, it's like, I think some of them knew he sent us away on purpose. Because it was a teachable moment. He had mercy. That was the last person a Jew was supposed to talk to. Or even touch or even be near. We, we gotta be careful that we don't have that mindset creeping into our thoughts. Amen? So verses 14 through 16 
touch on the concept of having a profession, in air quotes, of faith, but having no substance to our faith. Like, for example, unselfish acts of mercy and kindness. Because there's a lot of professing Christians today. I was uh, at the prayer conference eating with one of the, the ministers there. We were just talking and I met this other minister and we were talking and one of them said this. He said, and I, I guess maybe I knew this, maybe I didn't, I don't know, but he's, we were talking about converts and he said, converts at the first sign of struggle or difficulty or whatever will run the other way. But a disciple will stick it out no matter what. So then I thought, I went, walked away from that going, wow. Are we, so, and I asked myself, am I trying to make converts or am I trying to make disciples? And the book says making disciples of men, not making converts. So I want, I don't know about you, but I want to be a disciple. I want to be so, involved and so immersed in all of this that nothing else in this life that happens to me matters. Except who can I find that I can show the love of Jesus to? Can I get outside of my own comfort zone, outside of my own mindset of who is and isn't worthy? And can I reach somebody and just love them? And it's not... I'm sorry, but it's not going to be easy. It might take a while. I told you all the story about the young man in the Navy that it took us over a year to even get him to come to the church. But did did that stop the person in the hospital that was ministering to that young man? No. Faithfully met with him every week, talked to him about the Bible every week, and and then finally one day something happened, something clicked. Amen. I've heard preachers out there that that one one's the district superintendent, I think, of Kansas, and he said he taught Bible studies to this guy and his wife for two years. Two years. <laughs> he even retaught several Bible studies. All uh, tried to teach them different. It took him two years for them to finally come around. So don't get in a hurry. It's Everybody's not just going to come like that. I'm sorry. They're not. But so we got to be merciful and we got to be trusting that God's working things out in their life. God's going to show them what to lay down and what, what to let go of in His time. Right? Because a baby's not born and then stuck in front of a plate with steak and, and baked potato. Right? Doesn't happen. (laughs) Baby's not going to do anything if you do that, except look at it and cry for that bottle. Right? So we, you know, people got to come along in their at their own speed, right? As long as they're such as were being saved, that one translation said they were being saved day after day. We're still being saved. I like to look at my life as safe thus far. Because if I start getting attitude of I'll never backslide, better be careful saying that. Never say never until Jesus comes. 
till you know you've made it. The enemy has he has taken down preachers. And if you haven't heard that message by uh, T.G. McNeely, he wants to put you on his trophy case. And he were that his the whole story in his in that message from back in the 80s was about his dad and how the devil took his dad down. He tried to come back and tried to come back. So don't ever think that you can't be tricked by the enemy. All the more reason then to be diligent in your prayer life, diligent in your study life, be, to be listening to the voice of God and being careful not to let those attitudes and those mindsets get in your... That's what James was telling the church. Because James, James was a, an apostle. He was kind of forward-looking. He was like, guys, this is going to go way beyond us. You guys are going to all die one way or the other, and be and you got to pass this on to the next group, the next generation. And so we we got to have that mindset. Amen. Second Timothy three five says, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. Don't I don't want it to be said of me that I have a form of godliness. That I'm just going through the motions. That I'm just practicing religion. We don't do that, do we? I'm not going to answer that. You answer it. And Paul was writing that to Timothy. And if anybody knew about religious tradition and exercising religion in man's mindset, Paul knew, didn't he? Because Paul was a what? A Pharisee. And so he, he was taught and trained to practice and think like that. And so it was phenomenal and monumental. They just... It doesn't say it in the Bible, but I think it just blew the minds of those Pharisees that knew Paul when he came back to them and was totally transformed 180 degrees. I think it just, that's why they were after Paul because it was just like Jesus came back all over again. You know, I thought we got rid of this. Now look, now one of our own's doing it. That's what they were saying. So they, what were they out to do? Kill Paul. Which they did. But Paul and the Lord used that to his advantage and took it all the way to Rome. And he, if you read the New Testament, Paul says to those men that are there to try to condemn him and kill him, he says, you all know, you know me, you know my family, you, you, you know how I was raised. What, what, y'all know I haven't done anything to offend or he, he was trying to tell them, trying to tell the, the ones that were trying to condemn him, but they didn't want to hear it because they were so stuck in their thinking. And it just goes to show you that God can save anybody. <laughs> he saved a murderer. He delivered Paul back into his own hand so he could use him. Talk about mercy. Talk about grace. The religious Jews had a lot of head knowledge, didn't they? They knew, well, we, we, we believe they knew the scriptures. They obviously didn't. Because like I said at the beginning, did the, they did forgot about Isaiah 9 and 6? I mean, when, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, I mean, all that was prophesied and they missed that? They missed it by a mile and it was right in front of them. How could you miss that? And you're the ones that hold the scrolls, you know. You're supposed to be in the know of all this stuff. 
And so Paul and James and all these guys were were trying to remind believers, you know, that, like I said earlier, but such were some of you. Every one of them had been delivered from something. There was a lot of religious things. You know, Paul went to the Mars Hill. And so there was a lot of worshiping of a lot of stuff, idols and all kinds of stuff. And so a lot of those people that were in the church were out of all that stuff. You know, I mean, I'd, I hear these stories about a witch doctor being one to the Lord in a village because he recognized that the missionary had some kind of power. He didn't know what it was. But he, every time he'd try to put the hooky-pooky on somebody, that missionary would come along and 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 would heal him, and he so that 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 this this was another story I heard, <laughs> but that but that those that witch doctor would put a, a hocus pocus on him and and make him sick, and that missionary would come behind and make him well, and and he started respecting that man of God because he said there's some power there that I've never seen before, and and God sent that that missionary to that witch doctor and said I need a translator, and God told me to use you. Now tell tell me this isn't a story, and the, because that guy knew all these languages, and he this missionary needed to reach some people in a language he didn't speak, and the only guy in in town was that 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 guy, right? So he he told the witch doctor, "You're going to say everything I say to say, and if you don't, basically in a nutshell, he said God's going to get you." And so the he knew the witch doctor took him serious, and so the witch doctor went. And translated everything he said. And guess who got the Holy Ghost? Guess who got filled with, with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name and is, is, is working in that work today? That witch doctor. So God can save anybody. But if that missionary had prejudged that guy, he'd have never had and not listened to God. He'd have missed it, missed out on an awesome opportunity. That's like Paul being one to the Lord right there. Right? The last guy in the whole village anybody ever thought would get the Holy Ghost least likely to succeed in his high school class, got the Holy Ghost. Right? Praise God. It's 15 after. Praise God. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you today. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, go with us as we go on this break and bring us back and prepare our hearts and minds to receive what what the Word has for us uh, from our pastor today. In Jesus' name we pray.